Hey everybody, this is your host Matt Castellini and welcome to Chicago Capital. Okay, welcome to the first edition of Founder Fridays, a new segment that will highlight and profile up-and-coming founders building transformative businesses right here in Chicago. Today I have Brett Siegel from Rooster on the air. Imagine a centralized app for the home buying process where, as a home buyer, you can learn about each stage of the process, communicate with your agent via text and video, search properties, access property insights not available on Zillow, schedule tours, see a custom task list, share and sign documents, and acquire all of the vendors you need in one place, all on your phone. Imagine a platform where an agent can qualify their leads and centralize their communication with all of their clients. They can also send property recommendations, share and sign documents, maintain their schedule, and have one view of their pipeline all in their hands. It's incredible to me that something like this doesn't exist today, but Rooster is building the first-to-market solution to address all of the modern-day challenges listed above and more. So far in their 10 months of launch, they've had thousands of users of the consumer platform, partnered with world-class companies like Realtor.com, Better.com, New American Funding, and a number of top insurance companies. They've also opened up a distribution channel through agents, giving them an ability to integrate Rooster into their current systems and provide their clients a branded home-building app. The startup has developed an elegant suite of tools to help agents prioritize their lead outreach and manage their pipelines. I had a blast chatting with Brett about the business, and I hope you all enjoy the deep dive. Brett, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital for the first Founder Friday. So here we go. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to let you take it away. I think we'd all love to hear about what you guys are working on over at Rooster. Awesome. Yeah. So we are working on what we started off calling a home buying management platform and has morphed into a productivity and collaboration tool for clients and agents. Basically, this was an outgrowth of my own home buying process, which I found to be basically a total disaster. You can do all sorts of things online in the home buying process, sort of, if you're just searching for properties or applying for a mortgage. But the entire rest of the process is pretty much analog, pretty much happens over email and text message. And there's no centralized platform for learning about, planning for, managing, and then acquiring all of the vendors you need in the process. And so we started off building that. We ultimately realized that the the mirror experience of the consumer is the experience of the agent who has 20 different platforms they're using, if they're using any platforms at all. So all the way from their early marketing to clients through closing of transactions. They have several different systems. They're always on the go and there's no one platform where they're engaging with and communicating with their clients. And so what we're doing is building the first platform for doing that, centralizing everything from the early stages of education through vendor acquisition for the consumer and on the agent side from the earliest days of lead qualification uh, all the way through managing the end of a transaction. So we're at the very early stages of doing that and have rolled out various alpha and beta versions that are being used around the country right now. 
I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. You mentioned that this was a solution that came about because of your very painful processes in buying a home. I can't say I'm at that stage yet in life, but I have a brother who who went through it and he had similar complaints. I would love to hear though about your background and really why you decided to tackle this problem as your next sort of endeavor. Yeah, so I actually spent the early part of my career in finance. I was a hedge fund analyst. And so we had an interesting mandate to invest in intermediate duration investment opportunities that were three to five year investments that sat in between the types of investments that normal hedge funds would make and normal private equity funds would make. So we were looking at a pretty eccentric mix of weird things. One of the opportunities that popped up at the time we were doing it was uh, second lien mortgages on commercial real estate portfolios. So basically a high LTV mortgage on a commercial asset property. So healthcare facilities or hotel properties, et cetera. So those were complex transactions that involved many parties, a lot of legal work, and we were doing them 10, 50, even $100 million kind of deals. We did over $150 million of these. When I went to go purchase my own home, I had no clue what was going on. Like the ABCs of purchasing a home, I couldn't figure out myself even though I could do these complex real estate transactions in, in financing. And so I, I didn't know what a house was going to cost me. I didn't know what the process was. I didn't know who to hire. And so I built this like financial model in Excel, like literally, is this an investment or is this a consumptive expense? What's the break even point of that? What does it actually cost me to own this home? Like all these sorts of things, obviously that's like a nerdy level. And so I built it for myself and then People started asking me for that spreadsheet. And I was like, you're smart. Like, why can't you plug the numbers in? And they're like, dude, we can't build a financial model. And so that was like the beginning of the process for me, realizing that like a whole bunch of smart people having trouble figuring out what the most expensive purchase in their life was going to be is like a really weird reality in a world where I can go online and hire babysitters for my kids online. But like the biggest thing that I'm ever going to do financially, I can't do online. Why do you think this process has been so disjointed for so long? I feel like somebody should have come along and solved this, right? I'm so curious why you think no one else has or uh, why the solutions today don't really cover the comprehensive set of problems that go into buying a house. Yeah, so this conversation could take up the entire you know episode and more. I think generally speaking, residential real estate is a massive and highly fragmented industry at, at every juncture. And so- there's a lot of components in a transaction there. It's a high dollar value thing. It's something that's really been an in-person or relationship driven business in many ways. And so it's an industry that wasn't forced to reconcile with sort of a digital transformation as quickly as some other areas of the economy were. And so over the past decade, I think it's taken the pattern of of many, many other consumer-facing industries. I think it's one of the last major consumer-facing industries to sort of undergo a digital transformation. What happens is sort of the first iteration of digital transformation in any industry is the silos of that industry start digitizing. And so the mortgage companies start creating digital mortgages. People don't realize that digital mortgages still are a tiny fraction of all mortgages. And the first one was four years ago, right? So we're in a very early stage of that. The search process with Zillow is only a decade old, right? And so in the context of the internet, that's very young. And many other parts of the transaction, the closing and other pieces of it are really just in the past five years. And the second wave of sort of digital transformation of every ind industry 
is that there are companies that come in, integrate all of the things that have been digitized where you can bring them together. So I think we are playing that role to a certain extent or are trying to play that role to a certain, a certain extent in this space as well. I think another thing that you see in it broadly when you study digital transformation and coming to the cloud is that enterprise solutions come first and then sort of companies come on and they say, hey, why doesn't the SMB sector have this technology? It's a much bigger market. It's fragmented. The go-to-market is very different, but we can bring this same sort of technology. And so while you are definitely seeing you know, apps coming out and sort of processes becoming digitized at some of the largest brokerages in the country where they're vertically integrating some of these, for the vast majority of the ecosystem, that's not there yet. And so that's a you know, a market that we can definitely serve with that sort of technology. Ben Thompson has great articles about aggregation theory and aggregators. It sounds like for the longest time, this is an industry that was highly modular, modularized. That's a word I can never say correctly the first time, no matter how many tries. <laughs> modularized. And you guys are coming along and looking to integrate that for the consumer and for the agent. And so I, I guess on the consumer side, could you just walk us through kind of the consumer's journey on your platform. I think everyone's familiar with Zillow. And in my head, when the time comes to buy a house, I assume that I'm just going to use a Zillow or something like that. I've never really thought about it too hard. I think that's a decision that most people just push off until it's absolutely time to be ready for it. But I'd love to hear just about the consumer journey on your app. Yeah. So there's like something like 200 million people in the United States that go on Zillow every month. So clearly people have like a pastime of looking at other people's houses that has nothing to do with their level of intent. We originally, this is obviously the sort of important question is how do you get to the end consumer here? We originally started off as a direct-to-consumer platform, found that very challenging for a variety of reasons. Everyone's trying to acquire consumers. And so we stopped acquiring consumers directly and started going through agents. And so right now we're not doing any of that acquisition. We're providing a platform where once someone gets in touch with their agent, they can then collaborate with their agents inside of our platform. Uh, over time, you can grow organically from that to a consumer access point. But to go direct to consumer and build a direct to consumer brand is very, very challenging. And so it's something we've sort of pivoted away from. For agents, sort of journey from a consumer that's ready to sort of engage with an agent is something that's actually hugely in flux in the industry right now. And COVID accelerated this. So millennials now despite the memes and sort of people making fun of millennials, millennials are making up two thirds of home buyers right now in the country, right? And so a big portion of that is happening online just as a behavioral thing and COVID accelerated that trend very dramatically. And so over 75% of millennials are getting their agents online. They don't even think twice about it, right? And so what had historically been what agents call a sphere of influence thing, where it's referrals of referrals as they build their business, has really become the same way that millennials acquire everything uh, in large part, which is you go online and you find someone with high ratings and you go sort of get in touch with them. That creates its own whole swath of problems for an industry that's not used to acquiring people because if you don't have a relationship with someone, so they're a very flaky lead. And so there's more leads than ever going to these agents with less relationship than ever. And so the need to provide technology to those people, both is a behavioral thing, because that's how millennials want to interact, but also as a value proposition and a branding proposition is, you know, increasingly important to, to a generation of agents that hasn't ever had to think about this before. I'm curious about 
your decision to move away from the direct-to-consumer model, when did you realize in the company's life cycle that that was the right choice? And it's sort of a soft pivot, I guess, but I'm always curious to hear about those sort of decisions to move away from what was originally seen as the original business model. We were spending a lot of money marketing a beta version of our product. And I can talk to you about sort of what that is versus what the future vision is. But just seeing and testing what the cost of acquisition to a platform like ours would be. And so we had raised some friends and family capital. We're spending, I think, like a lot of startups, you know, a lot of money on traditional sort of places to to advertise. And what started happening was around the election, our cost of acquisition was like skyrocketing, right? Because in the month leading up to these these campaigns were spending tens of millions of dollars a day targeting the exact population that we were targeting. And on Facebook in particular, there are special ad categories which preclude you from micro-targeting in the same way you can do for e-commerce, for example, any credit product and any housing product. And so we were slammed. We were basically buying you know, the average millennial on Facebook, which is basically what all the campaigns were targeting. And so we were watching our cost of acquisition go up like wild. And I was like, I have no control over this pipeline. If I'm like, there's going to be 40 different episodes like this every single year. And so if you can't target the people that are behaviorally indicating that they're interested in credit, you can't target the most attractive credited people. And then you can't target people for specific housing interests because there's all sorts of restrictions on that you're just subject to Facebook's general cost of acquisition. And I was like, that's not the way I'm going to be building a business. And so the next sort of natural access point to find someone in a transaction is with their agent. And then it becomes, well, have to go learn a whole new industry here. How do you benefit an agent? What are the things that we can do? And so started having literally hundreds of conversations with real estate agents um, over a period of a couple of months. I love that. I think that's so fascinating how you were able to pivot and the way in which you guys went about that. I, I, I'm I, curious though, is the catalyst or the motivation behind Facebook's decision built around like the 2008, 2009 financial crisis? Is that why they don't want housing or credit sort of aimed at consumers and you have to take a much broader stroke? So there's all sorts of regulatory regimes protecting consumers from predatory actors. I didn't think, and I still don't think for the most part, we are actually subsumed within the regulatory frameworks for those, meaning we're not directly offering credit, we're not directly offering housing, but yeah, go try to appeal that to Facebook, you know, when you're our size. And so we can't escape that regime. So it was almost a, it was almost a moot point, you know, whether we were actually subsumed within that, but the sort of reasoning for that is, is regulatory in nature. You mentioned the beta version versus the future version. I'd, I'd love to walk through where your product is today and where you envision it in the next 6 to 12 to 18 months. Yeah, so what I set out to do was obviously an extremely large task for a company with very few resources. And we haven't talked about the partners that we've integrated yet into this, which is a, a piece of that. The integration of, of a disparate industry, of a regulated industry, of a complex and long duration industry or sort of acquisition cycle, and also one that is a one-time occurrence, 
meaning it's not a recurring transaction, uh, creates a whole bunch of interesting complexities as you're going to build a business. It's not so easy for someone to come in and actually just do that. And so the actual doing of it itself, in some ways, is more of a barrier to entry than you might think. So that said, the real question we needed to answer initially was basically give some data to the objection of why has no one done this before, right? And so the key thing that we needed to prove was that no one has done this before because no one's been able to monetize the consumer directly. And the reason that no one's been able to monetize the consumer directly is because it's too expensive to acquire that consumer. And so our hypothesis was that if we could provide value at the earliest stage of a transaction and be the earliest acquirer of a user with a tool set that people need at the time that they're beginning the transaction, then we could reduce the cost of acquisition with our platform, number one. But number two, that the feature set that we had was actually one that people were looking for. And so why isn't there a world-class budgeting tool where you can understand what a house is going to cost you? Why isn't there unbiased educational content that actually walks you through every stage of the process? You know, and, and, and so we had to prove that people actually wanted to do that. And so the almost counterintuitively, we built out a real estate platform with no real estate in it. You literally cannot search properties in our platform. We did not allocate any early resources to replicating Zillow's functionality. We know everyone wants to use Zillow. They already do that. We're never going to beat Zillow at search unless we have an unbelievable platform around it. You're not going to be able to create a competing brand. And so we knew that the platform we were creating was not going to retain users effectively because we didn't have the beef in it. We don't have the real estate listings in it, but we can build that. There's ways to build that's already been done. That's been done 20 different times. So can you get and retain users for a period of time in your initial feature set in with world-class educational content, with budgeting tools? with process management tools so that, for example, we enabled you to save a property without the, we pulled in the public record details. We don't have any of the listing information, but you can take notes on that property. There's no other real estate platform where you as a consumer can take notes on the properties you're saving. It's like a crazy thing. We, we made it so that you can save pictures as you're walking through a tour, right? There's no place literally where you can save pictures of a tour that you go on at the property level. It sits in your phone. And so like these sorts of things we saw and we, our thesis was, and I didn't think it was that like monumental a thesis to have to prove out was that if you provided these tools, people would actually use them. And so thankfully we were able to do that. And then it became, how do you actually access the right people given the restrictions of Facebook and Instagram and what's the path to market? And you touched on the partners integrated into this platform. Would love to learn a little bit more about that and how you think it enhances the value proposition. Yeah, so this is a really interesting one and and it's changed as we've changed our distribution strategy as to the value of those. And I'll explain that. Initially, a key piece of it also was have these tools, but also centralize the vendor acquisition. So right now, when you need to go get a mortgage, you need to go get insurance, you need to go get your agent. You need to go get a mover. You need to go get an inspector. You need to go do all of these things. All of those things happen in an analog way or in a Google search. There's literally not a subject matter specific marketplace for doing that. And so what we set out to do was create partnerships that would integrate with us. And again, the industry is really just digitizing. 
for some of these major partners, we were literally their first API integration. They had just released their APIs. This is not even a year and a half ago. And so we were able to build out a bank rate or lending tree type functionality with a few consumer direct lenders, including better.com, which is you know a fintech based out of New York. And we were able to build a homeowner's insurance uh, marketplace with a partner that is a digital brokerage. And we were their first direct-to-consumer usage. So it was a platform that was built to integrate into the flow of a mortgage process so people could get their homeowner's insurance. We brought that into a consumer platform where literally within the platform, without leaving the platform, you can get real quotes on a property for you without leaving the platform. And so in one view, you can view your customized mortgage quotes and start a mortgage application. In the same view, you can start getting your homeowner's insurance quotes. And we also formed a partnership with Realtor.com, where if you wanted an agent, you could get an agent anywhere in the country. And so these were essentially revenue shares or lead-based monetizations. And the idea really wasn't, you know, initially to just monetize people, but to see if people would actually acquire vendors that were in that way. And so we built those out well, well before we started developing any anything at all. I hired a designer to design our some version of our application, and I just LinkedIn emailed the people at these different companies and got some of them to respond to me. And I walked them through screens of what we were creating, and I said, "Will you take a risk and be part of this?" And it was a multi-month sort of discussion. But I didn't start developing a single thing until I knew some of those relationships were possible. I took the risk that they would actually sign the paper once it was there. But I, I had sort of a handshake agreement that they would be interested if, if we actually did develop it. And that's when I that's what I sort of took to friends and family. So before I you know risked anyone's capital that was close to me, I just wanted to make sure that those partnerships were possible. The unit economics behind the platform. Maybe we could walk through just a little bit of how you guys, the ways in which you earn revenue through Rooster. Yeah. So this changes also very dramatically when you talk about distribution through agents. We retain the marketplace with these partners where the end users, we can drive sort of lead gen revenue from them. The model to agents, we're actually hammering out. We're in the process over the next couple of weeks of doing that. The model, I think, lends itself in into a freemium type strategy for a number of reasons. This is where you get into all sorts of pricing strategy conversations. But real estate agents are all independent contractors, which is a really interesting dynamic. So they're also... They're mostly all solo entrepreneurs. They're not uh, W-2 employees. They have technology from their brokerages, but for the most part, they're not required or compelled to use that technology. That said, you can also sell technology that's distributed to agents through their brokerages. And so you have this interesting dynamic where the end users can decide whether or not to use the technology provided to them by their enterprise which lends itself really well to sort of a grassroots spread where you can get people to use your platform for free, monetize the end user and have product qualified leads, if you will, where you can then go sell an enterprise product on top of that. And so I think that's the direction we're headed is distribute it for free, at least a, a free version through agents, monetize the end consumer, and then ultimately sell to enterprise while having some sort of uh, premium offering that agents could 
you know, white label the product, could remove our vendors and only have their own vendors, could have a premium search experience and do a number of different things like that. I think that makes sense too. There's a ton of examples of two-sided platforms that have gone a similar route with respect to their unit economics and their pricing strategies. I am curious about for you guys moving forward. I know you're involved with 1871, but what does your fundraising journey look like in the next year or so? Yeah, so hopefully we'll raise a pre-seed round over the next uh, couple months. We're going to be going out and having those conversations We're at a really unique point where we've had several thousand consumer users of the platform. We've driven really interesting retention and usage of the platform there. We have a waiting list of hundreds of agents around the country that are desiring our full platform. And we have a a couple dozen agents that are actively using our sort of half-featured beta that we have released right now. And so I think we have a really interesting technology and platform in place. We have really interesting market demand and some proof of concept. And that sets us up really, really well over the next couple months to, you know, raise the capital to start investing in in, in developing and launching the broader platform. And it doesn't sound to me like, and from my initial research, there's not a whole ton of competitors out there trying to do the exact same thing. Obviously, there's the industry incumbents in Zillow. But it doesn't seem like there's too many startups out there trying to target the exact same problem in the same manner. I would say that's certainly true. This is a case where doing nothing is your biggest competition. And so people are buying houses at record levels actually just fine without our technology right now. And so the you know we're competing versus the incumbent. I think the trends of the market and sort of the makeup of the base of agents getting younger is certainly a tailwind to what we're doing. And then the fact that there's individual technologies for several, not all of the different pieces that we're doing. It's can we distribute something that does what a CRM system does, that does what their document signature stuff does, that does some of their transaction closing stuff with an all-in-one system? I think we can. And I think the trend is behind us. But certainly, it's an interesting competitive set. And you guys are based in Chicago, and you've been at 1871. And how's that experience been? 1871 is awesome. I've been doing it remote, which is a little bit less fun. But as an organization, the ability to build a peer group around you of people that are going through what you're going through is amazing. I was in the first cohort of what they call the Pyros program, which is uh, sort of a incubator kind of program. They don't take any equity. It's sort of an economic development and community building thing, but where they walk you through some of those things and have courses and access and mentorship Uh, really an amazing resource and community building resource in Chicago. How have you found, are you originally from Chicago? How have you found the sort of Chicago startup community to, to be, to work in? Yeah. I grew up in Cleveland. I went to the uh, land. Yeah. The land. I went to university of Michigan and then sort of came to Chicago for my finance job. So I've been in the Midwest my whole life driving distance from my family. Chicago in many ways feels like a, a bigger, bigger Cleveland than a smaller New York, which I love. The, the entrepreneurial ecosystem, even literally just in the couple of years where I've been doing this, has been changing dramatically, which has been really fun to see and be part of and see people I know doing well in businesses that I know getting, you know, real, real funding and venture funds popping up and building bigger funds and second funds. So the ecosystem literally just in the couple of years, I I know it's been many years in the coming, but it seemed to sprout in many ways. 
as an entrepreneur, it's, it's certainly a more conservative ecosystem. And the risk-taking profile, although I'm hopeful that this changed, I think a lot of sort of company builders are hopeful that, you know, we're on the precipice of founders and building a founder ecosystem that can fund sort of other founders and be earlier stage capital that takes bigger risks on real sort of technology as opposed to businesses with sort of pure transaction. That fosters development, that fosters creativity, and I'm excited to see that continuing to pop up. That's amazing. I think it echoes what, you know, a lot of VCs have said on the show, and it's awesome to hear from the founder perspective, your sort of impressions. And, uh, you know, I think Cleveland is at an interesting precipice without LeBron, but I mean, (laughs) you guys, you guys have Baker, you got Baker Mayfield. So it's not all doom and gloom down in the land, but I think, I think you guys have some brighter sports days ahead at the very least. Brett, I want to thank you so much for, for hopping on. I'd love it if you could let, you know, listeners know if they want to learn more about Rooster, you know, what markets you guys are going to be rolling out in first or your initial sort of go-to-market plan, that'd be great, I think, for listeners to know who who are maybe thinking about buying a house in the next year or two. And they're like, wow, first off, I want Brett's spreadsheet. I would like that delivered to my inbox. <laughs> That's not available. Rooster's the next second best bet. Yeah. So actually, the consumer platform is available and live nationally. And you can use our budgeting tools and take your pictures and your notes and hire some of the vendors, you know, natively nationally. That's at rooster, R-U-U-S-T-E-R.com. For agents, we're building that wait list and sort of the demand off that wait list will help inform the full launch over the next few months. Brett, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. We look very much forward to staying in touch with you and seeing how this grows. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. If you are a founder seeking venture capital investment at the pre-seed through Series A stage, check out Manifold Group. We're a venture holding company based in Chicago with offices in Dallas, Los Angeles, and soon Atlantic Canada. We believe early stage private investments represent an excellent investment opportunity, but existing investment models in the space leave much to be desired. Manifold is a new model for growth in the new economy designed to create and capture value at the early stage through synergies across its venture fund, incubation and acceleration studio, and advisory firm. Learn more about Manifold at www.manifold.group. And please tune in for the next Chicago Capital episode.